Welcome to episode nine of Podcana. It's a Disney Lorcana podcast. I'm your host, Flake, alongside my co-host, Brendan Patrick. We're bringing you all the news, tidbits, discussion topics, although this week I think is a little bit of a slower mm-hmm. week, Brendan. Yeah, I was going to say TLDR. There's not too much Lorcana news. We've had a bit of a inconsistent hype schedule on stuff releasing so a little bit of a dry week but we're going to be talking about this upcoming and current tcg renaissance or maybe more appropriately appropriately named the tcg bull run because i don't know if it's a renaissance because a renaissance sort of has this undertone that it's going to be good for tcgs but um anyway a lot of tcgs coming out a lot of competition. We're seeing major IPs outside of just Disney um, launching major card games. I think that's going to be a, a particularly interesting landscape for us as players heading into the end of 2023 and 2024 especially. So we're going to talk about all the type of games that are coming out, what makes games successful, what games need to be doing in 2023 and 2024 to even get our attention um, because we have so many choices, and just sort of waffling about what this landscape is going to look like in the future because, you know, I remember 2020, 2022, uh, you know, flesh and blood sort of coming into the sphere, right, and sort of reimagining what TCGs were for me. Uh, back then, we kind of just had the big three, and nowadays it feels like there's a new TCG coming out every single week. So, Yeah. Is, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, an interesting next couple of years, Flake. Yeah, to say the least, I totally agree. We'll dig into that for sure. But first, we've got the Elsa Icebreaker. Elsa? Do you want to build a snowman? All right, well, this week, uh, Brendan, the Elsa Icebreaker has been so generously... We got a few, actually, this week, which was nice. So, um, But this one is from Greg at Darth Prentice, and uh, Greg asks, Who would win in an arm wrestling match? The Beast from Beauty and the Beast or Hercules? This is one of those Elsa icebreakers where my answer is pretty tough to predict, I think. <laughs> no, I'm going with Hercules here. I mean, Hercules is kind of my boy. I don't know how you could argue that Beast uh, even has a chance in that match. I mean, Gaston went out to go and hunt the beast. So I think that if you have, I mean, he had to call the confidence in the world. He's Gaston. No one does all kinds of things like Gaston. We all know about that. But I feel like Hercules is just Hercules. Like he's arguably in all kinds of mythology, Disney aside, like in Greek mythology, Hercules was the guy. Like he was 99.9% God. And in that regard, I feel like it's easily Hercules. Um, But I think the beast would... The Beast wouldn't back down. I, I think that this is one where the Beast would actually just ha- think he could win. Mm, mm. I think, yeah, I think it's a clear cut for Hercules. Well, speaking of mythology, I have an Elsa Icebreaker for you. Okay, like, this is new. <laughs> <laughs> so if something, either in an object or an entity, begins with begins by being a sum of its parts, right? The parts that it starts with. Whether it's you know the body you start with, it's the the items that make up uh, larger objects. Let's say a ship in this scenario. Okay. If all of those parts all of those parts changes over time, is it still the same object or is it a new object entirely? So, for example, when you're young, you're born with a certain you know, certain amount of cells. By the time you're 30 or probably earlier than that, I believe all of those cells are gone. They've all replicated, right? Everything that was you at one point is effectively gone. Is it still the same? Are you still the same person or are you a different person? Are you a new person? This is from a, I don't know if you, I don't know how you would call this. um, It's a philosophical question called the ship of Theseus. Basically, there was a ship that was preserved in a museum. And over time, they replaced every single part, right? Progressively as it degraded. Does the ship, you know, a hundred or a thousand years later that's been completely repaired, is it still the same ship or is it a new ship entirely? That's a very fascinating question that I was absolutely just completely not prepared for. So thank you for (laughs) turning this into like the most philosophical podcast. I took philosophy, a lot of philosophy. I had to in college. Not that I'm particularly attuned to that kind of mindset and that kind of thinking patterns and processes. But I, 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 uh, like... If thinking scientifically, which is the way I usually lean on these things, um, I am fully aware that the same atoms that I am composed of are probably 
they're atoms that have begun for since the Big Bang. They've just traveled. They've they've transformed. They've combined. They've broken down. I would imagine that everything I've shed and grown and changed that there there's probably nothing left of me from the day mm. I was born to the day to where I am now. But I am still. I think that when something is given a name and a story then that itself becomes what that thing is. And the whole ship of Theseus of replacing, you know, this plank and this mast and this sail and this oar, you know, over time because of degradation, ultimately, it is still the entity of the ship of Theseus. It's like, um, I'm trying to... It's like let's let's use a, a like let's use a, a the list as a deck. Let's say you come up with a deck and you and you have a mm, sixty card. Yes. deck. Yes. If I change all sixty cards, do I have to credit the original deck builder? That's well, a good question. Well, there's how many cards must I change before <laughs> I have to stop crediting that dude who says he built the deck? Yeah. Well, there, there's that. There's that. I mean, there, but the, what I'm trying to get at is, let's say you come up with a deck and you name it like the Annihilator or whatever, mm-hmm. like you know, and then over time you've just. Uh, you've updated it you've you've changed it it's still you just call it the same thing um you know but all 60 cards are different you've just given it the same name are you still playing the same deck the second you change one card i I would imagine that by definition it's no longer the same deck and if you want to credit the person who invented it it's like i i get it it's in in the same regard i always see people who like take a meta deck change one sideboard card and and post it as their own thing and it's like i came up with this i'm the no you didn't you didn't you didn't mm-hmm. come up with it it's all it is what it is uh, that's a that's a tough question and i don't want to answer it any further than that yeah i don't think that there's a super clear-cut answer you said for yourself you know the flake the marco that you're a completely new person i mean the, the question begs is if there is some sort of metaphysical constant that exists outside of that process of degradation and rebuilding that makes flake flake right so is, Something, the, is that the soul then is that is that the proof or, or parcel of, what the, it, of what the soul is i think that some people would call it that yeah look but, at uh, us what are we doing doing a Lorcana podcast? We need So this is this is this is like the call for help to uh to to Ravensburger to release more fucking spoilers because I mean <laughs> we're we're going off the rails. Because we're talking about we're digging up like Plato and and Aristotle and all kinds of other stuff and you know in the words of Kant like no we're not going to go down that route. Uh but we do have headlines before we actually dig into stuff. There has been a little bit of news besides we'll get to the spoilers. The first thing I want to dig into is that uh, this this whole uh, hobby store program that has been reported and confirmed by multiple sources as uh, as being a real thing. Now, what this is, is the hobby store program is basically that if you are a retailer who wishes to carry Lorcana on opening day, you need to apply for the Hobby Store program. It is not first come, first serve. It is a merit system where you need to basically prove to them that you deserve to carry their product, which I don't know how to... I do not know how to interpret this other than if it's innocent, it's because they have absolutely nowhere close to the amount of product that they need to satisfy. So what they've essentially done is said, okay, no online retailers, you need to have a store. And if you have a store, you need to basically, you know, like we both swiped right, but you gotta, you gotta be the one to, to impress me here. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's Bumble, right? Like, um, the, uh, Ravensburger yeah. has to message you first. Yeah. They, they're the ones and it's like, okay. And uh, what, what have you done for me lately? And <laughs> yeah, so this appeared on, I think it, I've, I don't know if it was like a Facebook page. I think it's a Facebook page and it has been essentially co- uh, corroborated by multiple sources that this is precisely what happened is that Lorcana or Ravensburger reached out to, or the distributors, uh, distributors reached out to them and said, okay, did you apply to it? Okay. And now explain to us why and what the criteria that they have said is uh, stuff like how long that they've been a business, permanent mm. seating capacity, I guess, to hold events, their past organized play presence and experience, as well as where they're located and such. It's such a, a tangled web, I find, that it's this mm. already seems to be troublesome right out of, before the game has even launched. 
So Flesh and Blood did this, um, actually. But it's actually, I believe it's more strict now than it used to be. But what they're trying to avoid is people representing themselves as shops that are not shops, uh, that are not going to support organized play in any manner, which they think their game needs to survive. Um, and what they're really trying to avoid is people who are online retailers getting the product that distrib- distributor prices and then not selling it to the public right uh just holding it and maybe reselling it for an extremely high value and that process is going to happen everybody is going to do that but the difference is is when an online retailer does that they don't have this sort of secondary aspect where they're still kind of putting on organized play and helping out and you pushing the game they're actually just profiting off it and just scalping it not saying everybody's going to do that but that's what happened in flesh and blood uh famously there was a guy in um God, I don't know where he was, somewhere in the Northeast. But basically, he had a record store um, that he claimed was a TCG store that he had locals and stuff. And he was able to get a lot of early Flesh and Blood first edition at very, very low prices. And it was a lot more, it was a lot harder to get back then, a lot higher demand. And you could basically flip it for 5 to 10x immediately. Well, this guy was also a bit of an asshole. So he liked to go and talk, uh, you know, talk about it online and rub it in everybody's face how he was able to buy it at, at you know, at whatever low price and immediately flip it for 10, 10x and then he didn't care about the game and et cetera, et cetera. Well, that went on for a while until <laughs> until um, basically someone like honey potted him into revealing what his store's name was and they banned him immediately. But yeah, I mean, that that's what they're trying to avoid is stuff like that. I think that they, they want these stores to actually be supporting organized play and pushing, um, pushing organized play because organized play is key to the game. Lorcana, <laughs> no official organized play, no tournaments. And if stores don't hold events, then... Why would you play Lorcana? It's just a shitty board game at that point, right? Because you're talking about a board game where you have to acquire the pieces via booster packs. Nobody's going to do that. Right. And um, But the, the, I think that this still sort of begs the question of allocation is still going to be a major issue. Yeah. I sent you, a, I sent you Flake, an image um, from my local group chat. It's for Flesh and Blood, but obviously they play other games. People already getting refunded for pre-orders that they placed months ago. Yeah. Because... Um, you know, we're kind of coming to the inflection point here where a lot of these stores are realizing that they're not actually going to be getting the product that they they were hoping that they could get on that zero interest loan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that overall it looks it looks kind of rough, to be honest. I see this from pretty much every angle that the the amount of product seems to be quite low and that nobody's actually getting the amount that they want. Well, that's uh, that's the problem, I suppose. And like you mentioned, people getting refunded on all this stuff is uh, it, it was come to be expected. You just it, you know it, go check out our episode. I think like three or four episodes ago, where we discuss the allocation issue and and distribution. And we basically told everybody, hey, don't get don't be surprised if you know the three boxes you ordered or the case you ordered gets refunded, and you have to go back and all you're allowed is a box and a starter deck, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we're at on headlines because, like you mentioned, slow week. Uh, but we did get four new cards. Uh, not entirely, not all of them. But uh, walk us through the four new drops. Yeah, so I can probably tell you what the unknown values are on this card. So first, we have a card in Amber. That's Timon Grub Rustler, Storyborn Ally. Uh, one cost, can be turned to resource, is a 1x and has the ability to taste like chicken. When you play this character, you may remove up to one damage counter from chosen character. So it's almost certainly a 1-2, uh, because the only 1-3 in the game is Olaf, and Olaf has no ability. So we've seen cards that have abilities gen- t- tend to be 1-2s, because if they don't have abilities, they're either 1-3s or 2-2s. Um, uh, would imagine one lore as well. I think that's a fair assessment. I think everything has one lore. Yeah. Uh, other than Maleficent, I think, is the only one-drop, two-lore yeah, yeah. So everything has one lore base, I believe, in Lorcana. So if you see no lore represented, it means oh, if you're met one or two, yeah, it's definitely going to be one. <laughs> It'd be because Maleficent, Maleficent has two, right? Yeah, and it's a it's a one one, and it also can't be turned to a resource. So right, that's a heavy price to pay. All right, next one would be in Ruby. It's a Sergeant Tibbs. I think this is from the Aristocats. Is it? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Uh, I I watched that movie like ages ago, and it never really appealed to me. I was never a cat person, so I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Sergeant Tibbs, a one drop can be turned into ink. Uh, two, two attack, I would imagine. There's no, there's no text on this that we can see. I don't know if it was just hidden or whatnot. Uh, my guess is it, 
It's, it's, do you think that this is just the standard vanilla one drop two two? Yeah, it's reds one one mana two two with a pip. Um, everything has this right now. Uh, every color I believe has one of these like these one mana two twos. If they don't, it's for like a specific reason. But yeah, it's just the vanilla one drop that can be a resource in in uh, in ruby here. All right, now we're moving up the ladder. We've got in emerald. It is Iago a one four. <laughs> Uh, for three, can be turned into ink. It's got an ability called "You Got a Problem." It looks like he's uh, looks like he's all riled up over here. But uh, Iago, loudmouth parrot, has the keyword "reckless." Something gains reckless. I would imagine that this is something where you're basically taunting. You're creating a taunt scenario for. Uh, it's like um, the reckless beast or whatever the other card was. It's it's a way to goad another another creature or character into fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm thinking this. So the other card that gives something reckless, I think, is a three cost and can be turned to a resource. So this would just be if this just had that ability, it would just be strictly better, right? Because it comes with a one four body. Um, so I'm not sure if this is getting reckless or it's just getting re- reckless to an opponent. But yeah, this one I'm not sure about. But interesting to see an emerald a three cost one four. I don't think we've seen a one four yet. Yeah, I, I think that this is might be a, a, um, like the 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 action equivalent, which is like three costs, and you can just point click for, point and click it. This is a body, like you said, strictly better for the cost. I would imagine that the difference here is that you have to probably tap him, like you have to exert Iago. To, mm. So you have to wait a turn. That might be the the way to do it. Which um, in it, you know, it's still a one four on the board. Would be very yeah. It would be very strong actually having that as a tap ability with a one four butt. It's it it allows you to probably on on curve allow it to sort of withstand whatever is on the board or at least stall out. And if this comes in, it was like a two pip. You think that's just <laughs> no, a, that'd be busted? Yeah, that'd be broken over the top. Uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be broken. So if this thing can tap and give something reckless, it's really good because when you give something reckless, like, yes, you're going to make it fight, and that doesn't mean it's always going to kill itself, but you're also going to prevent it from uh, questing. Sure. Right? So it's really it's really good tempo, especially if you can get it on a repeatable body. So, yeah, I mean, it could be a strong card, but hard to know what the exact text is on Text uh, is on that one. Last one is a five drop in steel. Cerberus, the three-headed dog. A 5-6, no information about the stats on this leak, but uh, do you think that the cost for stats, do you think that there's got to be something to deal with? 5-6 is pretty fat, to be honest, so I think it's going to be a single pipper. Um, If it's a two pip, it's a very playable card, I think. Yeah. Like 6-6 is a ridiculous amount. Uh, Like we see 5 being the uh, common breakpoint, um, mm-hmm. for defense and six is just i mean there's really not much of the game that can actually kill six uh a six defense if this is just a one pip card this might just be a card that you drop on the board and you leave it there to sort of hunt down whatever decides that it wants to actually go out questing in the current um with the with the current cards we have if this was a five six one pip i would play it immediately in what i think is the best deck which is uh amethyst steel yeah, it looks pretty good. And uh, that's that's the four pack of cards we got. So I think that Lurkana, like we mentioned, we are actually doing this show, you know, every two weeks because we're mm-hmm. hoping to sort of um, nibble at the content instead of just sink our teeth in and eventually, you know, hit concrete with it. But we're at a point now where we're kind of still painting with a fairly broad stroke. <laughs> um and there's still a ways to go, man. Like, it launches in August. We're in the middle of May. We've got three more months to wait before we can actually scoop some cards. Yeah, it's not too bad to be honest. Like, August is sooner rather than later. Like, I thought that Lorcana was actually far. Like, in my mind, when I was circling back to Lorcana, I thought it was farther off than it was. And I was like, oh, okay, August is not so bad. And then there's going to be this tournament at Gen Con. Which I probably won't be playing, but it sounds like it would be profitable. <laughs> the prize is some sort of promo-based prize. Um, starter deck Lorcana. We can talk about that too. I think there's so like I heard this from somebody else. I haven't actually verified the information, but I believe there's a starter deck tournament at Gen Con uh, for Lorcana. Mm-hmm. I heard and that I too. Be- yeah, I do believe there is some sort of promo-based prize that would definitely make it worth it. Uh, that being said, I don't know if starter deck Lorcana is going to be super fun because <laughs> i think there's going to be an 
like an objectively best deck to pick, uh, most likely. And if you if you make the wrong choice, you'll probably be heavily punished. At the same time, Darkana feels like a game that you want to play with the best decks, not card soup kind of decks. At least that's been my takeaway from the gameplay I've had so far is that if, uh, yeah, the game, I definitely want to be doing busted stuff as often as possible. Yeah, this is a situation I think that if there is a tournament that is a starter deck-based tournament, if they release the card list for the tournaments like well in advance, people are going to be able to just immediately say, bang, bang, boom, this is going to be the deck that that wins the most. And then it becomes a problem because what if you go to this tournament and you do have a choice and people figure out that, oh, it's like this is the combination deck or this is the this starter deck is the number one deck. Then it becomes a matter of who's in line first and who has this who has that mm. access to that information. Right. So um, we I, I've already seen how many of my buddies who play one piece and go. Yes. And, and <laughs> like to them. The, the hardest part about cashing out in a one-piece tournament is signing up for the tournament. Like, because those sell out in minutes. And those are, are like just, so they have to be there on three different phones and two browsers trying to log in and, and get in there because the promos are so valuable. Because, it, yes. It, so this might be the same uh, situation where people are looking at playing in these tournaments, getting all the inside information because they absolutely desperately want to just get the plus ev on this yeah card gamers are weird when it comes to plus ev uh you see them make very irrational choices when there's any sort of manner of plus ev around for instance there was the one piece that you were talking about there's a regional tournament about 15 minutes away from my house so i went down there this past weekend and on sunday there was a two hour plus line that you could wait in that was far out the door for the opportunity to play in a side event. The side event had about a plus EV based from entry, so the differential from entry from what you could potentially sell your prize at, about $30, $45. And I said, dude, I would, Texas Heat, by the way, I would pay $40 not to sit, stand on line. But card <laughs> gamers, when there's any chance of just a across-the-board plus EV, as in I enter the tournament and I will guarantee come out with more money, they will make low ev choices in order to get into that tournament i really want to talk about one piece in particular because they do something in organized play which actually used to happen in flesh and blood flesh and blood also supplemented with cash but this ponzi nomics when it comes to promo cards it's a legitimate way of substituting pro professional play um, and organized play but it's extremely unsustainable um, it lasts for probably max one to three years and after that the market liquidity and people's sort of appetite for buying promo cards just kind of goes away um it, it just definitely becomes much less profitable right now in one piece if you top eight a tournament i think you're looking at close to ten thousand dollars in in prizes so it's pretty good and they have no cash incentive which is really interesting um i want to the reason i want to bring it up is in 2023, 2024, as we have all these TCGs comes out, come out, what does a TCG need to offer in organized play for you to even pay attention to it? Because at this point, it's not like Flesh and Blood coming out in 2020 and 2020 when it's the only new card game and it feels different, et cetera. It's like there's a million card games. They all feel different. They all have improved the 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 freaking the, the mana system or whatever. Like, what do they have to offer? For you to even to even waste your time on their game or potentially waste your time, right? Like, what is what does a card game need to offer you, Flake, in in terms of organized play for you to pay attention to it? Well, uh, it, it yeah, because I like you, we get bombarded with new card games and people saying you should try this, you should play this, and you should try this. Um, to me, it has to be. I mean, like it's it's hard for us to have like a, a an honest conversation about this to a degree without mentioning the fact that we are by profession also involved in card games from a broadcast perspective, content creation. So we have um, interest in that regard as well. Like that is definitely there, but we're not making podcasts for every single game. We're not getting involved in every single game, and I'm not playing every single game. There are cards games out there, for instance, like Battle Spirit Saga. If I move. To the to the right over here, you could see the Battle Spirit Saga, like you know, um, the the kit that they sent me to get me interested and take a look at the game. And I have friends who've played it. I have a lot of friends who are actually quite into it. I I looked at it. I tried it. And I was like, it's not immediately speaking to me. And maybe it's something I'll revisit. However, 
this past week, the couple days ago, they released information and like just like that, like a flashbang, just shocked us into re- reality that there's a new Star Wars card game coming out. Mm. And that immediately turned the lights on because that is an IP that I'm absolutely about. Disney for for me as well is something that I'm very interested in and that I've grown attached to over time. So I wanted to take a look at this. But Battle Spirit Saga, One Piece didn't speak to me because I don't I don't care. Uh, you know, people keep telling me the game's good, but at the same time, you know, maybe I'll, I'll I'm just, I'm happy to just observe everybody yeah. else play it. The game the game is good, but you know what else the game has? They don't actually have a sustainable organized play program. They have a Ponzi-nomic, promo-based organized play program. They, d- In general, they have no coverage, right? So there's no incentive for you on that end. Um, and in my opinion, I actually played the game. I learned it last weekend. I think it's a fantastic game. Um, I think it's up there with like probably in the realms of like flesh and blood in terms of like how fresh and modern the mechanics feel. That being said, I mean, as a card game itself, I think that, uh, you know, like the art kind of sucks. Like, I like the art on the alternate art cards, but the general cards are just screen caps of the anime. And I hate that. I hate it more than anything when card games do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, One Piece, good game. Business opportunity and something that's worth your time that won't die in the next five years. I don't know. It, it's tough to say. And I've I have my own thoughts about Battle Spirit Saga, which I want to be on here, but they're not as fond as my, my thoughts for One Piece. But uh, Star Wars, right? Star Wars is being launched by FFG. FFG has probably one of the worst track records in in out of anybody when it comes to organized play. They've pretty much destroyed every game they've touched. But they released their Star Wars thing, and they say, "Hey, we're going to do it different this time." Should you believe them? I don't know. Don't. I don't know the answer is to that, but they're addressing the issue saying, Hey, we've really hurt our audience in the past. We're going to do it different. Um, we have this new game. It's going to be, it's going to have a robust organized play system with cash prizes. And we're going to have organized play at the store level. And here's how the mechanics kind of work. Right. And it's very back and forth. It's, it's one action to one action, one player, next action, second player pass back and forth like that chess aspect. And the cards, they look pretty decent too. I've, uh, I'm, I was a little bit critical of the art style when I first saw it, but out, everything outside of that, slam dunk. I'm like, I expected a second coming of a Star Wars TCG to just be the biggest cash grab ever, especially if you throw the FFG name on it. But I would say that they surprised me that like when it comes to announcing a new TCG in this day and age, they hit all the points and they were messing around. So we're doing all of these things. And they hit, the, they hit every single point that I need where it's like new engaging gameplay that's actually innovated on what you know the past half century of card games has told us. We have organized play and we're addressing the elephant in the room, which is we've screwed over our audience for the past you know how many years. Well, that's part of it, right, is the fact that like – IP can only take you so much, but ultimately you got to operate off the back of your reputation. And that's the one thing that when um, when this was announced, I think a million and a half people tagged me into the announcement tweet and say, this is something that you want to look at. And it absolutely was because like the title up here of the video says, the TCG Renaissance. The Renaissance, like you mentioned, would have to probably allude to the fact that it's ultimately a good thing. So that's mm-hmm. the discussion that we need to have here is – you know, it, it feels like we're going from the at the post Hearthstone digital boom that mm-hmm. really when the dust settled of the 30 titles that were announced, I think maybe like six or seven of them are still successful. You know, like Hearthstone, Runeterra, MTGA. Uh, Artifact. Oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, oh hold on. <laughs> hey, the long haul is the long haul, dude. You know? It's, it's coming back. Yeah, buckle in for that one. Uh, <laughs> side story about this. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but, like, the whole thing about Artifact that really turned me off of it and really, like, put a sour taste in my mouth with a bunch of, of the content creators surrounding it is that the ones that uh, Artifact brought in to sort of hype up the game and try to convince people that it was not not that the game was good but people were a little bit skeptical of the buy and sell market system of the game mm. so what these people did I'll be kind was in one tweet they would talk about how amazing the economy and how friendly it was to new players because a new player can go spend you know $40 
on getting two or three decks wherein 30 of those dollars are buying the expensive stuff and then you're spending 10 on like every common and uncommon. Like you can do that, they're on the marketplace. Demand will drive the prices. So they would basically in a heartbeat tell people, no, you're wrong. You know, this is an actually better system. It's not predatory at all, blah, blah, blah. And then two tweets later, they're talking about how they bought every single ax on the market because they're gonna make a killing fleecing <laughs> scalping people, it scalping them like those yeah. were those tweets were literally hours apart and i would look at this and be like you guys are absolute scumbags like it has nothing to do with the market it's just the fact that you guys like these are the liars that you're putting to face I the have, game i have a modern uh a modern and current similar thing so hit, i'm gonna hit. i'm gonna say i'm gonna say a statement the statement is both i believe to be objectively true and total bullshit Marvel Snap has one of the best free-to-play experiences ever created. So it's true. You, you load up Marvel Snap, you play Marvel Snap for free. That, as an in, uh, like a self-encapsulating game, is a fantastic game. You slowly acquire cards, you're building your collection, you're having interactive experiences, you're getting to play their card game. Like Hearthstone, you can't freaking play the game. Um, and it's, it's awesome. But... <laughs> Turns out, as you keep playing, and then maybe you go up in ranks, you've been playing it for a while, it has the most predatory, disgusting, like, aggressive monetization model that has ever existed. Like, it's not hundreds of dollars to play Marvel Snap. It's thousands. It's thousands. So both statements are true. And I feel like that kind of, it's similar to the artifact, where it's like, yeah, yeah it's, you get to buy the cards for cheap. It's like, not if I buy them all first. Yeah, well, precisely. And they these are the people who had early access to the game and mm. opened so many packs and knew what was good and what wasn't and then would just go out there and sort of like you know jerk each other off uh, about how great and smart they are you know cornering the market on this stuff that's a whole other conversation you know, ultimately the tcg renaissance like we went from the digital game uh and the boom of so many different titles that came in and out and sort of fizzled out some lasted and actually have a successful run but now i feel like we're we're back to the paper reimagining and now yes. if you go back to the post magic era like the late mid to late 90s early mm -hmm. 2000s people might not be old enough to realize this and I'm, i sound so old saying this but you can name any ip any successful movie or tv show and they had a card game for it did you want to play the austin powers card game you could do that did you want to play the the 007 card game you could do that did you want to play the scooby-doo card game you can do that you can do all of this because no matter what happened it was part and parcel of the success in the marketing of a movie or a new show or brand it's okay we need the toys we need the 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 clothing and we need like to get involved with burger king and mcdonald's and we need a freaking card game like it was the easiest thing to do they all died you can go to any comic con go to people's dollar bins and find like you know, sealed packs of Austin Powers TCG. It exists. But that that all kind of went away when people realized that there's no worth in them. There's no they don't hold value. The games are terrible. So they all they all died out. It's the same thing with like the comic and sports card collecting boom of the 90s where everything was printed to, you know, uh, to the ends of the earth and none of it held value. This is different because now people are realizing that if you want to compete in this shark tank that is the big three of Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, and Magic, you need to have something different, not better than what they're doing because people are already ingrained in it. It's not just a matter of, hey, it's Magic, but we've solved, we've solved the land issue. It's we have something completely different to change the palette for when you do eventually go back to playing your favorite games. Mm. Yeah, I mean, everybody's doing that except Lorcana. <laughs> well, <laughs> which is, yeah. so that's the, so the thing is, Lorcana is the only game that's coming out is basically saying you're on your own for organized play, right? We'll give you something in terms of store play. We haven't heard anything about a judge program. The store play is not based off winning, which is fine, by the way, but it might just get a little boring. It's based off some sort of like um, participation and bringing new people in. I think it's a good idea. It's a good idea. 
idea, but I don't know if it's going to be executed that way because why do people come back week after week to play? I think that the sort of the the starry eyes that your game is going to immediately be Commander Magic the Gathering just never happens. No game ever executes that. Commander itself is an outlier. And this idea that you're just going to have this community-based game that people just come to play for fun off the bat, it just doesn't really happen in TCGs. Could it happen? Yes. But Warcom is the only one that's coming out that's going just off the bat is not giving us too much. They're not giving us organized play. They're not really giving us any new mechanics. Basically, they're stripping mechanics, right? They're stripping out all the mechanics and they're saying, you know, this is going to be easier to understand. Is it? I don't know, right? Because, I mean, like we've talked about before, chess is pretty easy to understand, but obviously it's a freaking very complicated game. Uh, it's not hard to figure out what the pieces do, but you play against better and better people. It's infinitely, it's infinitely hard. Flake, I'm really surprised. I, I was surprised that the TCG bull run or renaissance is coming back. Because you're right, it did happen in the late 90s. If you don't know about that, Flake is absolutely right. Go look into it. And what's particularly funny about that, before I segue into how I heard about this the first time, is that I had this conversation when I was at the One Piece regionals. These guys were like, oh, if I get top eight, I get, <clears throat> I get this promo and that promo. And I can sell for this much and all that. And you know, I've bought expensive cards in Flesh and Blood, and I've had cards that have gone up in value. But it's not obviously it's not sustainable. Like in every every single card game that comes out is not going to be a investment. Like a lot of them are going to fail. And I'm thinking about it when I'm looking at One Piece. I'm looking at they're selling these for tens of thousands of dollars. There's tons of other card games doing the exact same thing. Like Grand Archive also is this promo based thing. Somebody at the end holds the bag. Like who is buying this shit? Like that isn't planning to move it, right? Because the only, like there's people that buy it and try to sell it and they're being smart about it. There's also people that buy it and they're like, I want to collect it. I think that it's a cool idea at first, but ultimately like a lot of these games are not, some of them are not even interested in the long term. Like Bandai specifically kind of cycles their games pretty often. And yeah, this whole this whole system is you know, just like you said with the 90s. There's some, so many card games that died, way more died than, than, than sort of were created. But it's like I first learned about this when I was hanging out with my friend uh, Zach Bunn, who owns Team Covenant, was at his house in Oklahoma. It's back in like 20, might have been late 2021 or early 2022. But he was like, he was, we we're playing some old card games. We we're playing old Keyforge. He was telling me, he's like, dude, we, he's like, a few years ago, we get hit up by a card game every now and then. You'd be a new one. Like, Fab was like the first big dune. He's like, now, it's like every other week. And these were card games that were being created, right? Because Team Covenant is a large online seller and they're hitting them up to try to push their product. So this is before they're releasing. Now we're seeing those card games actually release, right? Source of TCG is held by them. Zach, I don't know if I was supposed to say it, but it seems like he kind of knew about the Star Wars thing before it came out. But he told me, he said, like, it is night and day from where we were a year ago. And it's true. We're seeing every single, like all these major IPs, the ones that have had card games before, they're relaunching them. <laughs> we're having a card game for literally every single IP. I'm just so surprised it came back. And it's an interesting sort of paradigm as we go from the, the physical age to the digital age. And we've wrapped all the way back around at the, at the physical age again. Uh, the physical age is like, I think that people, I don't know if this was just a symptom of the fact that like, uh, again, I don't know the timelines of this because it's it's would be silly for me to think that people would say like, oh, well, you know, flesh and blood can do it. So let's just create a new paper card game. And a year later, it's, you know, people are already on board. Like these are probably like the Star Wars game, I would imagine has been in development for four or five years by now, right? Like I think that, uh, again, I'm not entirely sure, but you have to suspect that then again, maybe for a bigger IP that they can kind of like just accelerate it because they know that mm -hmm. there's going to be a certain amount of, of leeway that they're going to be given because uh, it's Star Wars and Star Wars is bulletproof when it comes to actually finding an audience. It's just it doesn't matter what they put out. It could be. Uh, uh, just a rebranded game of Uno and people will probably be there lining up pre-ordering the, the second you can. Um, the challenge with the TCG renaissance is that it's not a renaissance unless it sticks and it's, and it's positive. Um, otherwise, it's just another flash in the pan. I think that the important element to this is that people and these companies that are creating these new card games, like Zach had mentioned, that it's like crazy how fast and how many these are coming out or uh, are coming out if they're not unique if they're not offering something new 
then they're, I think their success is going to be short-lived. And to come mm-hmm. back to Lorcana, when you're talking about like, oh, well, they're not giving us this and they're not giving us that. And it's just like, you know, as new cards come out and new, and the, we got the rule book and everything, the picture has become a lot clearer for what their mission is and who their uh, who their target audience is. Schmucks like you and I who want to go to tournaments and want deep conversations about strategy and want really complex cards and interactions and and head-to-head matchups and such, we're not going to get that because I don't think that the game, as deep as it may it can be, I think that it's still simplistic enough where – and sorry – it's it's simple now, and I don't think it's going to get much more complicated or much more layered because of who they're targeting this for, which mm-hmm. is the younger, you know, uh, the the sort of adolescent age of people who are getting into card games. And this is the same thing that Pokemon did. Now, keep in mind, there are obviously people, you know, adult age over the age of 20 who are playing Pokemon, but I think that there's the the majority of people who are buying this are like you know they're at a target or a walmart with their parents and they see at the checkout counter and the parents yeah like you can grab a pack or two or whatever and i i don't think that strategy matchups data um you know sideboard guides are are on their radar i don't think that what this is what they're looking for when it comes to lurkana i think trying to launch a card game like that in this day and age is very ambitious and also naive i think like if you want your card game to come out and basically be like the poke, like po- have the Pokemon appeal or the Commander Magic the Gathering appeal, where it's a casual appeal, I just don't. I just, I just really don't see it happening with every other game coming out that offers a similar experience, but also puts a million dollars in OP on it. They create marketing material, they create hype, they create an end game, they get attention, right? Like, I just think that. <sighs> To come out and not do OP is just really – it's really surprising to me. But you don't even have to do OP, right? But at least support it. Judge program, promos, and whatever else you need to do to massage that process happening at the, at the grassroots level I think is super important. I just don't know if – if a card game comes out and it doesn't have tournament play, it doesn't have an end game, and you know – it doesn't really have an incentive to even be playing on locals. You don't have this sort of like plus EV promo thing, which I don't agree with, but a lot of card gamers are motivated by it. Like, I just think that card games like TCGs are in that model, really, really bad board games <laughs> because they're these self-contained experiences that you basically can only really play sort of at your kitchen table or every now and then at the game store. And you just, it's like playing a board game where you just don't have all the pieces. And if you want all the pieces, you have to spend hundreds of dollars and get lucky. And in Lorcanus, in Lorcanus case, you have to spend probably thousands of dollars and get lucky and nobody's going to have product and it's all scalped to hell. So it's just like, I, I really want Ravensburg to come out and tell us how this, like how they plan to execute this vision. Cause we see problems on every single front. We see pro- problems on the dis- distribution front, perspective, OP front, gameplay front, like, etc. And Lorcana is, it's really interesting that Lorcana came out, out and it's, it's very hype, right? Because uh, a Disney card game that looks like it has a lot of money put into it, because Lakana does look professional, I'll give you that. Like, that'll get you excited. But in the past few months, or in the, since Lakana was announced, tons more card games. I've got a Star Wars card game, all these other people. And these people do the same thing with Lakana does, but they go, million dollar OP. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do coverage and we're going to add all this more incentive to play at the local level. It's interesting. Like it's a conversation to have about what a TCG needs to do in order to get your attention in this day and age. Well, it's it, that's the thing because I I think that all the things that they're not giving us are the things that they're not necessarily looking to immediately support, like OP judging whatever. These are things that are going to occur anyways because there are going to be people, people who want to play competitively, so they'll create their own tournaments. People and entities like the Realm Gaming who are just like, dude, let's just jump on this. We're going to make a circuit. We're going to have a prize pool. People are going to pay to play into those tournaments because there's stakes. But again. Like you mentioned, you need a judging program or whatever. And this all becomes unofficial now, right? This all becomes um, a sideshow and it becomes a situation of like, well, who's the best player? Maybe not the best rules person, but like who here can answer a question? And then it becomes a debate. Unless there's some black and white concrete thing that they can say, like you're a level one judge, a level two judge, blah, blah, blah. 
that I think is just the consequence. And I think that, like you said, if Ravensburger doesn't have these kind of support systems for what the natural evolution of the game is going to be and the community is going to be, then it's going to create more headaches. These are things that I think that if they don't have on the radar, they need to you know, get off their ass and start working on because these are going to be the problems that are going to arise and the community is going to eventually say like, hey, we had a tournament and it was the finals and we don't know how this interaction works. It's not clear in your rule book and none of us could come to a, a, a an agreement. We ended up just splitting the, the, the finals or whatever. But, and then what's Ravensburger's response going to be? Is it going to be like, well, we don't really support organized play. So figure it out. Like, or, you know, like, are they actively going to just try to shut out this kind of natural evolution yeah like ultimately what it comes down to is i think that ravensburger is kind of approaching the release of lacana as if they just expect it to be successful because the intellectual property and my counter argument is i think if that if they want lacana to be successful they need to compete and they need to compete aggressively because there's other options out there there's other cool games with big ips coming out that might even be better designed so i think the ravensburger needs to compete I, I don't I I could be wrong. I could be super wrong about this specific point. I genuinely don't think you can release a game with zero organized play, zero comprehensive rules, and you know major community support and just be like people will enjoy just playing it and collecting it. I just don't think it's gonna happen, dude. Not with a million things sort of out there to compete for people's attention and for there to be long established brands and IPs that already fulfill that role for people like Pokemon, like Yu-Gi-Oh. So here's um, how I envision Lorcana to a degree, if they don't actually actively support and, and pursue this. Lorcana is going to be like McDonald's. It'll always be there. It'll always be successful. You might think like, sh- like shit, I haven't been there in a long time, <laughs> but it's clearly, there's clearly people there. There's always, it's, you know, there's, they keep popping up, but what tickles your fancy with it it's like why do you still every now and then go there because it's accessible it's there but at the same time they'll every now and then they'll release a new burger and that puts it back in your mind you might not be interested in it but people will be and it'll scratch that itch it's like oh it's like the you know a bottomless popcorn shrimp at applebee's like that's what's going on now maybe i'll go this week you know it's the kind of thing where they might come out with something every now and then that might tickle that fancy but at the same time there are the diehards who are are just craving to eat fries you know like Mm. they don't care about anything else they just want to go there once or twice a week to rip packs and play games and and whatnot like that's the kind of thing it's not like you and i who are like no i want to go there because i want to try something new i want to actually have a fulfilling experience or, or whatnot but their our fulfilling experience is different because the person who goes there and all they want is to dip their fries in some ketchup and 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 in the parking lot like they can do that you know they don't care yeah. about the fact that there's a new western whopper coming out or something like that i have a question so if if, if the gameplay for a, a game is not part of the poll right let's say the gameplay is not good or at least it just doesn't compete with other things that are available what makes a game collectible because if your appeal with this game is is part of the collectability what what actually makes a game collectible flight that's a good question to me uh, like the collectability is uh, is some sort of relationship between scarcity yes um uh desirability um and the appreciation of value Yes. And scarcity as part of that variable, which I agree with you that that is a major variable, is getting drastically reduced as there's a million other card games to compete that are also collectible, right? Because when there's only one show in town and they call themselves a collectible card game, there's only one thing for people to collect. Well, then naturally, if people are interested in card games at all, I guess the, the scarcity should be higher. But if there's you know a million fast food restaurants on that little cross street, well, it's harder to sell me that, to say that, yes, this is a collectible card game. Well, why is it collectible? Well, because we expect the secondary value to be stable and high. I mean, it's just, it's a hard sell, right? Right. Because ultimately, we're buying pieces of paper or card or whatever it is, card stock. It, it's not inherently valuable. Um, so how do you make it actually collectible? How is that part of your pitch? It just, it, I just don't think it happens in 2024, like maybe two, three years ago, maybe. But nowadays, yeah, you can't. I just don't think you can release a game and be like eh, collectability and f- and uh, you know tabletop fun first. It's like 
So the the thing here is that there's going to be a difference in terms of taste and options here because the reason why you might go to one fast food restaurant is okay. The reason why I go to fast food restaurant A is because it's cheap. That might be your appeal. <laughs> the other one was like, well, you know what? Some people are like, you know what? I'm going to go to this one because it just tastes better, but it's more expensive. But I'm okay with that. So I'm going to go to that one. So it's like, okay, well, this is an IP I like, but the game is like so-so. But I do like the art. I do like the collecting Disney stuff. But the game rules are not necessarily scratching the itch that I might have with another one. But the other one is kind of like not many people play it. It's not very accessible. Like there, there's going to be this give and take. And... I get what you're saying when it comes to the fact that there's just a finite amount of, of, of people's attention, disposable income, and their desire to collect multiple things. I got shelves mm-hmm. and shelves of cards that yeah. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I cannot pick up another card game um, aggressively or to the degree that I want to, not because I may be financially strapped, which to a degree when it comes to card games, that's what it becomes, but because I just don't have space or time to organize, to play, to get involved in the culture. This Star Wars game that got announced, I was like, do I have any more bandwidth in my mind? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but so the, it's a lot of mind bandwidth. You're but, right. But hold Most on. Card but the selling point that got me on board was Star Wars. Like that's the whole thing. And this is where it comes back to it because like the arguments of saying, well, how is this game going to succeed if they don't have X, Y, Z? They have Disney, dude. Like the people need to come. It always comes back to the fact that there's this burning nucleus that everything is built around that people are have this gravitational pull towards. But how long can that hold somebody's attention? That is a good question. question. That is a very good question. And I, I suspect that Lorcana might might just be – I mean, I, again, uh, I'm trying to think of other card games that have stood the test of time that have just declined into sort of like a, a – like just – I mean, when, I, when Pokemon just came out, I was mm-hmm. collecting cards. I collected Same. some of the first sets that ever came out. The second one, like Pokemon Jungle or whatever the second set mm-hmm. was. I w- yeah, I was like, oh, man, a new set. This is awesome. New Pokemon, new mechanics, do this. And then I kind of stepped away because the prices were outrageous. When I revisited the game, tw- like 20 years later, I was looking at cards. and I was like, what is this? You know? Yeah. And Pokemon actually has good card, like in my opinion, good card design. <laughs> Which is funny because a lot of us got started playing Pokemon or playing by just you know collecting cards and saying my Charizard looks better than your card, so it's it's better than your card. Yeah, um, back on like the cul-de-sacs that we may have grown up on or something like that back in the '90s, early 2000s. But I don't know if you've ever played. I I had no idea how Pokemon's played till about a like, couple months ago, and Pokemon actually has good card design. It's surprising if you have an appetite for a certain thing in card games and that's doing busted stuff and you can do the most busted things I've ever seen out of any card game in Pokemon. Like cards that come into the field and draw three cards are underpowered in Pokemon. Yeah. There are cards. It's <laughs> like draw seven. What? Draw seven. Yeah. Discard your hand, draw seven. Well, what if I have no cards in my hand? Draw seven. Yeah. It's unreal. And this is the, the one thing where like, I remember there was that card bill. Bill was like draw two cards or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, that's cool. And I could play a trainer for free and I can draw two cards. And I, I think that like, I, I like to consider myself ahead of the curve when it came to things where I valued things like card draw and having options. And I was like, people are like, Oh, what well, doesn't really do anything why why would you want that when you could have this i'd be like yeah but this gets you access to that and other things you know like anyway that said pokemon now is a thing where it's like i remember when charizard was like oh my god i could deal 100 damage in one swing that's insane and now it's like all right i can put two energy on this dude bust you up for 300 and then i've got a 200 hp Mm. like mammoth that you have to punch through yeah, the funny thing about Pokemon, and this is a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a tangent, is that even in that, like back in the first set, I mean, I'm pretty sure you had Professor Oak, which was discard your hand, draw seven cards, and also I don't even think Charizard was like super good. I think it was just Hitmonchan hitting people for like ten, and there's like little combos. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's classic card games where the big thing is actually not any good. But yeah, just circling back to it, I I just think this question is really interesting, and if you have an answer to it. Um, definitely let us know in the comments, which is what does a TCG, a new TCG, have to do in 2023 and 2024 to get your attention? Is it the IP? Is it organized play? Is it the gameplay and the design? Is it the art? Etc. There's a lot of boxes to tick. Um, and for me, I think one of the most important ones is I need 
and I know I'm an outlier here. He's like, I need an end game, right? I need a reason to play the game. And if your reason to play the game is just fun, I'm not, I'm not doing it with a TCG. I'm not. It's just a bad board game. I'd rather go play a fun board game. I can buy it for 20 bucks. It's a self-contained experience. And I'm not opening booster packs to have fun, right? I want a reason to play a TCG, something I can get better at, something I can compete at, something I can meet people at, et cetera. Like TCGs for me are not just this linear question of, well, it's fun because the acquisition model is terrible. It's it's very much akin to when you queue up in any video game or any digital experience. Do you go immediately into ranked or do you go into casual? And like, same thing with Overwatch. Like, I play Overwatch with some friends fairly regularly, and if we're in casual, I just give. I it, it's a whole different feeling. If it's in ranked, I'm like, there's some weight to this. There's some actual gravity to my actions. I need to make sure that, like you said, if you want to have fun, like people, like there's nothing wrong. I, I just want to go on record. There's absolutely nothing wrong for people to go collect cards, play games where the objective is for them to have fun and have an enjoyable experience. That's honorable and that's that's awesome. We do the same thing. We just find that fun in different ways. My fun when I'm playing a card game is in the head-to-head, the competition, the mental sort of gymnastics you have to do to come out with a play and to best your opponent. Do I have enjoyable experiences when I lose? Absolutely. But it's a different beast when you're playing something casually. The whole difference here is that if I'm just playing for fun, I would rather do something else that gives yes, me Yes, exactly. I, like, I think there's a lot of things in life that will will pitch you the the end state of fun. And there's a lot of things that, can, that are available that compete for you to have the chance to have fun. There is very few things in life that give you the opportunity to compete in a fair, balanced way that feels rewarding. Like once you're old, which we're getting there, yeah. um, like you don't have sports anymore. Like you don't have that stuff. Like you can't compete. Not really. You can think you're competing by maybe at your your job and like you I don't know, you get a promote but that's not it, right? Like true competition that you felt back when you were you were young and you were playing sports and you I don't know, had friends. Like you don't get that anymore. Like that that gets stripped out of like your middle to late age of life and card games are a proxy for that. Dude, I was in this like golden age of like about five or six years ago where I, when I was still working at the, the office, I started a office softball team and I, mm. I, I signed us up for a league and I signed us. I'm like, look, like 80% of the team have never picked up a ball or a bat in their life. Meanwhile, I had played baseball for 21 years, so I would go up there and just rip home runs because it was the easiest thing to do. But so the golden age for me was still having the the physical you know strength to to rip a home run in softball and then go play card games and beat the crap out of some little kids like i was in that perfect little that little q zone of but now i'm sort of progressing past because i don't even have the physical acumen to to even run the bases anymore Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's a it's a it's a wild world but yeah that that's that's my main it's my reason i know that the the f- number one uh, motivation for me playing card games, the fact that it's not fun, I know that that makes me an outlier, but I do think it's because there's so many things that compete and give you the option to have fun. But for you to have the option to compete in the sort of the fa- the boundaries that card games give you, where they're extremely fair, um, you know, input to output in terms of reward and hard work, like they are this sort of like pretend version of like real life success in a condensed experience and it's very it's very rare and it's very addicting and that's that's what i like um needless to say that we are definitely in an age where we're gonna see more card games than probably we have not seen in the past like 30 years so that's good for us right the card games are no longer uh like the card games themselves don't hold the value you as the uh, technically it's always been like this but more than ever you as the consumer with your intention you hold the value they are all competing for that there's not one show in town there's not one card game that makes you feel this way or has this mechanic like there's going to be plenty of options so you should choose the one that treats you the best as a player and gives you the best experience well said um on that note we've got some submissions for spilled ink uh you want to hit us off buddy Sure. The first one is from Jorkana Inc. Uh, they say, I'd love to hear your opinions about proxies. Are they legal? I realize we're no lawyers. What uh, can they do 
For the community slash product, what are the pitfalls? How should slash shouldn't they be used? It's a controversial topic, so I understand if you'd rather skip this one. So I actually think it's very controversial. It's just the context in which you ask about proxies. If you're talking about like, right now, I mean, <laughs> I think you only do them favors by playing their game before it's been released. But there's early early days in card games, um, at least in like things like Flesh and Blood, which is I think going to have a similar product life cycle to a Lacan, at least in the beginning, where it's heavily scalped and very hard to get. There's going to be a section of people that really enjoy the concept of them having a card that someone can't and will it, as as a result really dislike proxies one of my least favorite things about card games and trading card games uh, collectible card games in particular is how inaccessible some of the pieces to the game can be so for me my personal ethos is i want everybody to be on a level playing field because if the playing field is not level to the point where you don't possess a game piece that I possess. I think the game sucks and it's just a cheap fake form of success and winning. Right? Like I think that if you actively search that out as a player, like, that's just wrong. I think that you should want everybody to have access to all of the cards because then you can actually play the game. Right? I agree. I understand the legalities of not being able to bring a proxy to a tournament or whatever, but like you said, so, so correctly, is that at this stage, that's the only outlet we have. And for those who are like, well, why don't, you know, proxies are one thing, but play it online on like TTS or something like that. That's, oh, those are also proxies. It's the same <laughs> thing. It's the exact same thing. So for everybody who's out there printing cards and playing the game and figuring things out, you know, that is, like you said, that is precisely the right thing to do because it only supports and grows the community. If everybody had to say, like, whoa, no false starts here, like, wait till <laughs> the gun fires off, you know, I, we, we can't have that. Like, if, if Lorcana was out there hunting these people who are, are printing the cards out to play on their kitchen table, you know, they're not selling them, they're not doing anything. My, my thoughts on proxies with Lorcana specifically in mind is exactly like, like what Brendan said. It's it's a good thing. It, it's necessary, in fact, because we're not in an age now where you pick up a magazine, see an ad for a game, and say, oh, I'll come back in four months and see what it's about. It's the second that there's an announcement, like that Star Wars game, everybody immediately starts just... <laughs> proxying. Yeah, proxying it, figuring things out, and, and whatnot. I mean, you already know like what the best color combination is in this deck because you basically played the decks and, and put the stuff together. So... It's, it's definitely a good thing. It only does good things. Now, when the game is released, you know, am I for it officially? No, not for tournaments. Unofficially, I could not care less. I'm officially for it for tournaments. I know it's never going to happen, but I'm for it. I fucking hate it when things are not except because it, it ruins the integrity of my game. I come to card games a lot of times to beat my opponent, but if we're not on a leveling playing field from the start, they don't have access to the same game pieces, it's fake. It's not a real game. It sucks. So I, even though it will never happen, and obviously there's issues, but if you could be okay with proxies in a tournament, hell yeah. I would be all for it. Everybody has the same pieces. Nobody has excuses when they lose. Love it. Um, here's a fascinating one from Logan Peterson asking, what color would each Simpsons character be in Lorcana system? I think that this is like, a, there's too many characters to go through. Uh, also, the color identities are starting to kind of flesh out in one way or another but um how, how familiar are you with the simpsons are you a big fan no, not at all that's okay. the problem i was gonna say i think it's like it's a, it's a little bit like just slightly before yeah my time all right so i'll i'll answer this one and i think that i'll pick one char one character and i think that's mr burns and my color co and the reason why i'm picking this is because i think mr burns would be precisely what your favorite color or your strongest color character uh, combination is which is steel amethyst uh a, a, a character whose whole idea and their whole mantra of being is like working in the shadows, disrupting your opponent, messing with their stuff, being kind of like inaccessible and, and greasy in that regard. And I think that that's, uh, I would say that Mr. Burns would probably be a steel amethyst type of thing. Mm. I have no, I have no loyalty to still amethyst. I will change as soon as there's a better color. Well, yeah, I'm probably not moving off of amethyst because the other colors don't draw cards right now, and amethyst draws a lot of cards. Yeah, and you need those, man. And you're, you yeah. know, unless you're top decking 
um, Maleficence and Mickey Mouse's off the top to mess pretty with your whole line. Yeah, that was pretty good. Pretty good. All right, one Next one is from, oh, I got you, from Lakana Illumin. Um, they say, is Beast an animal companion? Ready, set, discuss. That's animal a companion. fascinating question. So animal companion, I think that the question here is more so along the lines of whether Beast is like, consi- like is Beast a person, like a man, or is Beast an animal? Uh, I, I'm I'm going to interpret the question that way, but I mean, you open the quite the, the entire show with quite the deep, like root of our being. Are you who you say you are? Like, are you the same person today as you are tomorrow? Kind of thing. So we should give this an equally deep answer. So uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's the ready. Uh, we've hit the set. Uh, the discuss <laughs> part is what we're lacking here. Um, <laughs> It's hard to say because again, this goes back to the soul or the or the being like the true nature of the of what the beast was. Where at its at, at the beast's heart, the beast wasn't an angry monster. He was just somebody who got caught up in some foul play and some nonsense. Can't wait for Lorcana uh, Illumineers to comment on this video and be like, dude, I was just asking about the subtext in the card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think the card's like, yeah, exactly. What tribal is it? Uh, no, we're going to get into the most metaphysical conversation that is going to probably ruin your entire life at some point. Yep. This is the, uh, the cry for help for more spoilers, please. <laughs> yeah. Give us more cards. We got to talk about stuff. Also, give us like, Give us some other good stuff. Like, uh, this is, you know, we could dig into this, like, if nothing happens in two weeks. But do you feel like we've seen everything yeah. besides the cards? Like, how, or, or what's lacking? What are we missing? Uh, judge stuff, more like any kind of support for organized play, I think. Um, promos, maybe like alt art cards and stuff. We did see the cold foils. Um, Chase yeah, cards, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's really it. I think that Lakana's schedule has been interesting. Like, I think that they've successfully garnered the hype and then started to drastically lose it. <laughs> Just really inconsistent. I um, I'm a I'm a big hater on you know. I big apologies to some of my friends at Legend Story Studios, but I'm a big hater of Legend Story Studios. Um, flesh and Bloods. Uh, spoiler release schedule i think it sucks and maybe i'll get flack for that but they basically they do it in like two days now they do it in two days like a weekend and it's just way too much information and you just become you just become apathetic to it after you've seen too many you're like oh my god i can't i just i can't figure this all out in one in one sense and you only get hyped for two days i think the best way to do it is over a long period of time but i also think that there's an imperative variable to that which is it needs to be consistent needs to be dripped at sort of a a regular cadence because if not we, as the greedy, spoiled consumers of such content, we get some content. We're like, this is sweet. I'm so hyped. I figured out all these things. And then you don't do it for three weeks, and we're just like, F you. <laughs> we get pissed, <laughs> right? Because we get accustomed to um, to the information. And when it turns off, it's like, yeah, it's, it's it sucks. <laughs> it's a fine balance because I, like you, agree. I think that the flesh and blood release schedule is way too condensed there's so much more that they can they can they could drag it out for two weeks if they wanted to uh, they could drag it out for a month a month they could, do, they could do a card a day like there's so many but you know it's just like the logistics obviously it's easier to do it in in two days for for many 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 different reasons um but yeah I, I, yeah i all digress right. all right well that's uh, that wraps up pond canna episode number nine brendan and uh Thanks again to everybody who supplied questions and comments. And again, you know, what is your interpretation of the TCG Renaissance? Are we in a new golden age? Uh, or, or you know, what does Lorcana have to do to separate itself from this influx of new titles that are coming out? Leave us a comment. You could tweet at us at Podcana. You could tweet at Brendan at Brendan APG or myself at Watch Flake. Uh, don't forget, please, uh, to you know subscribe to the channel. But the best thing that you can do for us is give us a, a, a hefty nice five-star review on whatever platform you listen to it does wonders for us and uh i do like to give another thank you to lorcania because lorcania um does a really good job of giving us all the assets that we need for this kind of stuff and i recently figured out that we can post directly to lorcania.com so mm, i use lorcania for literally everything <laughs> yeah yeah no, <laughs> i of like some people i follow on twitter but um yeah i mean i think you mentioned some good questions for people to answer um kind of the key question this episode is what does TCG have to do for to get your attention in the future? I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. And then, of course, the natural follow-up is, do you think the ship is the same ship or is it a new ship? Yeah. 
Uh, a thousand words or less, please. Um, <laughs> all right, friends. Thank you so much for listening to Podcana. We'll be back in two weeks, unless uh, shit hits the fan, I guess. But uh, we'll see you in two weeks here on Podcana. See y'all.